Okay, perfect. So, that makes sense. Yeah, recap your weekend, Trevor. I know you had quite an experience. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> welcome everybody to the Hockey Toolkit, episode three. Uh, yeah, I had a uh, very interesting weekend. Um, I took my 16U AA team out to Minneapolis for a tournament that we thought was going to be outside. Uh, we were, in fact, we did get to play a night game outside, which was kind of cool. Um, luckily, the weather was cold enough. I got a little worried there because it was like 70 degrees the week before. Uh, but um, I'll just say it now. I am never doing a my hockey tournament ever again. Uh, I'm done. I am 1,000% done. I cannot do this any longer. I've had issues in the past when I was running program as a director with spring teams, stuff like that. I'm just, I'm done. And the reason I'm done is because they thought it would be okay to move a 18U AA team down into a 16U AA bracket. Ah. So the bracket was 16U slash JV. Now, I get that there's JV teams out there that have eight, 17, 18-year-olds on their team. That's fine. Like, we accept that. That's kind of the level of play they're going to be at. That said, this group, uh, I got basically all 15-year-olds. And these were kids that, from what we were told, was basically all, like, graduating seniors this upcoming spring. There is a huge physical disparity there. And... I mean, it was prevalent. Like, don't get me wrong, my team, we, we played all right. Um, you know, we made our own mistakes. And it wasn't, and I'm not, again, I'm not frustrated with it because of, you know, we lost. Yeah, we lost. Okay, We, we didn't deserve to win that game uh, to begin with. My concern was that, I mean, I've got kids that are literally, it looks like they're just beginning to, like, hit them. I don't know, the, getting past the first third of puberty. Some of these guys <laughs> felt like they had almost a beard. Like, it was, they're more physically mature. And that was what my problem was, that I wouldn't have signed up. If I wanted to play against that level of competition, I would have signed up for that level of competition. Sure. I would have signed up for a high school varsity tournament. Or, you know, which, funny enough, they were signed up for the varsity level. But because a team dropped out, it was easier for my hockey to drop them down because they, quote-unquote, two weeks ago played in a lesser tournament or a tournament that had teams that were lesser than us. And when I heard that, I almost flipped my lid. Like, don't tell me that. And they they lost in the semifinals. But it still doesn't make it okay. I don't know how this was USA Hockey sanctioned. I have would have to look into it. But it's, if it's USA Hockey Sanction Tournament, I'm pretty darn sure that you cannot drop a 18UAA team down to a 16UAA. I don't even know. So my experience with all that stuff, it's like, so it's it's inevitably it's it's a it's a tournament director making a decision that, well, we don't have enough teams in one bracket. We have either too many or too few teams in the other bracket. Let's move somebody over here so we don't have to refund somebody any money or cancel or lose money on ice time. So it's it's generally a financial decision that's being made. But guess what? Then nobody freaking wins the thing because you got you got a team that shit kicks everybody. And they're like, well, we just got beat by a bunch of 18-year-olds. And then the 18-year-olds are saying, well, we came to this tournament for exposure and competition, and nobody wants to see a game that, you know, the 18-year-olds beat up on 16-year-olds 8 or 10 nothing. That's So nobody wins then except for the tournament director who – no, they they collect the, they cash the check. So right, I, I I agree with you 100. percent That's pretty bush league. Now, of course, my team was the only team they really they beat up on one other team. Actually, the old club that I used to run was in the tournament, um, <laughs> who we lost to, and then uh, they ended up playing them in the uh, the finals. And again, I could be more proud of those kids because it was nice seeing them, uh, familiar faces. Um, and it was a fun that that was a great game, but the other team, which was an actual JV team, they played. They, you know, kicked the crap out of them. You know, on the scoreboard the same way, and I think they won the they won the championship. I think by one goal, if I remember correctly. Which again, 
okay, that's fine. The team that they were playing was, again, the club that I used to be with. They've got some older kids. They, they're more filled with 16-year-olds who are going to be moving up. Again, my team, I have some young 15-year-olds. And, again, I, I don't I don't care if we win, win or lose. My concern was just the development aspect of injuries. Um, and I, and I, I totally get it. Like, they're in the business. So it's a business for them. They have to, you know, they got to recoup their costs. They need to figure it out. I don't think dropping them down was the smartest decision. Um, I know I wasn't happy about it. I let the tournament director know, who is also one of the owners. Um, I let him know, straight up. Like, it, I, I was like, <laughs> I watched how I said it, but I was just like, this is BS. It's, I don't care we lost. It's not cool um, that these guys came down and... I respectfully disagree with everything that you guys just did with this. And I told him, I said, they, we were the first team they played. And so it was, of course, so we lost by five. I said, you better hope that they don't cream everybody else and that you, nobody gets injured. Because I don't even know what you've got here. Could it be a lawsuit? I don't know. Could it be, I don't know, like with the insurance and all that stuff. And after I left, I'm calling people left and right. You know that I know who do stuff like that. Like, hey, is this is this a legal tournament? Is this sanctioned? This and that. And I'm hearing different things, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't have to play them again. The rest of the teams I know are in this are in the correct age group bracket. We'll go from there. And those are competitive games because the kids, you know, the other team was a high school team as well. Like I said, they were close. You know, they had a couple older kids, which you could tell. No big, okay, no big deal. It was like one or two, not. 18 or 15, whatever they had. <laughs> so it just, it really rubbed me the wrong way. So again, I, like I said, I'm never doing another one of their tournaments again. I might just have bad experiences with, with them. You know, there's been times where I know I've had fine ones, but I'm just, I'm done. I can't, yeah. you know, there's, can't there's do a, it anymore. There's a lot of fish in the sea, Trevor, you know, like you, you and, know, you don't, you don't have, there's a lot of tournaments out there and you don't have to do it. I, res, I respect that. There's a, you know, now there's always like the eight, you know, when you get with our junior kids, they, uh, this is like the age that 17 to like 20, where they, they have the first girlfriend. And I think girlfriends have destroyed more hockey careers than any, any combination <laughs> of injuries. They're like the ultimate killer for hockey careers. And like yep. that 17 year old kid, he's like, Oh, I want to go to junior, but my girlfriend's going to college. And I think I'm just going to go where she goes. And and then inevitably six months later, they're broken up or whatever, and he's all heartbroken, and he misses hockey. Same thing with tournaments, man. Plenty of fish in the yep. sea. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's, again, it was, you know, now I got to look and see. I got to see if I even have to take these guys' names out after even name-dropping them. But I will say this, and I won't say who the, te- uh, the team was that came up and dropped down. But if I'm the 18U coach, I do not drop down to a 16U division. Yeah, like he's not getting you? his money worth either. That's the thing. He's like, he has not. Why? There's no. There's no benefit to him. He ends up like paying whatever the tournament fee was, and then it's like, well, I just, you know, shit pumped a bunch of kids two years younger than my team. So it's like it makes no sense for exactly. him. It's no fun. Everybody loses except the tournament director. Right. So I'm kind of I'm sitting there and I'm like, if someone, if like anybody, in any tournament comes up to me and says, hey, you know what? Um, you know, your my your ranking is this, which again, that's a whole nother topic. But this is your ranking. Um, you know, there's some teams down below in a younger level, uh, or area division, you know, that you could possibly play with. Are you good? I'm like, no. Why? Why? That's the <laughs> yeah. dumbest thing ever. I would not drop my team down just because like I signed up for a tournament and like they knew they signed up for that the older oldest level. Like, why are you dropping down? No, as you said, nobody wins except for the company that is basically running, putting it on because all their ice is covered, all their fees are covered, all the teams are paid for, and now they're they're happy and they get to collect their paychecks. And as long as nobody dies, everybody moves on. So, Absolutely. yeah, that was my weekend. I mean, it was uh, it was a it was a heartbreaker weekend. Um, you know, I think it was good for the boys, though, because they, they got to spend more time together. And because our team, like I said before, is like just such a hodgepodge of kids from kind of all over uh, the northwest suburbs. They don't want like they don't want to go to school together. Um, I think I've got like a, a group of three and then a group of two or four. 
and then the rest are kind of just all over the place. So it was nice for them for like that. You know, we talk about building culture. It was, you know, last week it was, or not last week, but last session. Um, it was good because they got to bond more, you know, they were hanging out, playing shell, you know, they weren't doing anything stupid, which was awesome. It's like the biggest thing I can ask for. Um, so that, that was good. That was good. Uh, team bonding, you know, got a little bit closer and, uh, you know, for us, I just told them like, Hey, we're turning a page here. We know we're pretty much past the first third of the season. Now we got to kind of kick it up a little bit more. Now we got to start putting some of the stuff that we've been working on as coaches to the team that we've been trying to teach them and stuff like that. Like this is now we got to start seeing those improvements. We've got to keep taking those little bites. So that's a great, I think that's a good segue because the NHL, I saw a statistic uh, referencing the New Jersey devils and where they're at in the standings. And they're right now sitting in first place. And it's said by Thanksgiving, uh, 75%, you have a 75% chance of making the playoffs if your team is in a playoff position at Thanksgiving. And uh, so that's that's a really good metric. Like if you want to use like that first third of the season, what that can extrapolate to over the rest of the year and where you want to take your season. Uh, and right. a lot of guys like they, that's when they start looking at making some debt, you know, trade deadline deals. Some teams who are out of that playoff picture or, you know, re-upping contracts or where they want to, want to look for the future free agents or things like that or move up younger players into the lineup. Um, but that's a good metric for that. We had a similar situation. Similar situation. We went on a road trip with our junior team. We went out to Vermont, and Vermont's kind of an outlier program where they're like the most most westernmost team, and also you know probably the most northern team except for maybe us or them. Um, and you, it's tough because you never know really. It's a different group of officials. We usually get either New Hampshire, or Massachusetts based officials. It's a different group of officials you get up there and. Oh, just man, kind we're of a, really going to have to censor this one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead, it, sorry. It, it wasn't the results we were looking for, but it was an interesting thing that happened. So on Sunday morning, I'm sitting on the bench with co- my other coaches I coach with and you know, a bunch of the EHLP players on Vermont kept crossing the red line uh, to like grab their pucks, like a youth hockey move, like, oh, go get the pucks. Yeah. Uh, and that happens all the time in youth hockey. And it happens at the P level occasionally because – they're generally 16, 17, their first year of junior. So they don't really know better. And it just kind of happens, but it's still a rule. You can't cross the red line. And I kind of commented that like, uh, you know, back in the day, <laughs> those are fighting <laughs> words, buddy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Get the I used fuck to out skate. of here. <laughs> yeah. I used to skate right down the red line. Cause I remember reading in Eric Lindros's book that he wrote before he even played an NHL game. Yep. But when he was playing for St. Michael's, he used to just ride the red line basically. And I was just like, that's awesome. I'm going to go do that. And obviously he had the better career. But <laughs> Well, fast forward from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, uh, we come on the ice or on the bench for uh, the EHL game, which is our older team, so U20 mm-hmm. team. And the official comes up to us and he says, you guys are starting the game with a two-minute minor. And we were looking at each other like, wow, okay, huh? And he was like, yeah, one of your players crossed the red line at, during warm-ups. And I was like, you want to, st- you want to start the day like that. Like you want to like, so now hey, we are, nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, n- now we hate you. <laughs> and well, like, no, same official. Nice to meet you too. No, it was, a, it was the same group, but it was just mixed up. So like it was a three official group. Uh, one of the linesmen for the first game now became the, 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 the referee and one of the referees became a linesman. So they kind of just mixed it around, but it was like, and then it was a bunch of 10 minutes. Kind it was kind of like a, no, it wasn't it wasn't one of the prettiest games we've had, but um, it was a good game. It was back and forth. We ended up losing that in overtime. Um, did but they score in the power play? They did not score in the power play. But Thank God. That I know. That would have been the I, – I, I probably would just would have lost my mind. You would have gotten the boot. <laughs> You'd be up with the scratches. Yeah, but that, that was an interesting one for sure. But, that, you know, we do have an interview coming up in a little bit with Mackenzie Murphy. Our 16s team finished their regular season. Uh, and they'll enter the Granite State Hockey League playoffs as the number one seed. They were 16 and 0 in that divi- in that division, uh, and they play their their state tournament this weekend with an opportunity to go to nationals, which is in Amherst, New York, this year. So, good luck That's to awesome. the uh, good luck to the 16s. They're in the driver's seat, but you know how that is. We got We got to oh, go yeah. out and earn it. Nope. It's uh, sometimes I feel like if you're that. Uh... You're that high, like the pressure's even more on you. Well, hopefully they're not listening because I don't want to add any pressure on them. <laughs> this will be after, but I feel like if you're that usually that higher seed, 
like the pressures because you've got everyone's expecting you to be the one who shows up, you know. So it's uh, no, yeah, good luck to them. Definitely uh, have to keep me posted on that one for sure. Now we got a fun interview coming up uh, with Mackenzie Murphy. Here, Mackenzie is a, a player. He's a, currently a senior at Syracuse. He uh, runs a, a podcast called the Ho- Hockey House Pod. It's all about the benefits of ACHA hockey, and uh, you know he, he's a he's a great resource, and he's a kid who grew up here in New Hampshire, so I got a lot of familiarity with Mackenzie and his family, and it's going to be a great interview. Yeah, definitely. I uh, definitely look forward to that. Um, actually, here we'll just slide it in right now. Sure. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mackenzie Murphy. It's been a while since we've actually seen each other face to face, but it's good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I feel like you've you've probably seen enough Murphys lately, and you have, I haven't seen you in a while, so I I got to make the trip back to Merrill Fay sometime soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that coming down. We got a couple big games up for uh, some Murphys here in the future, but to give a little backstory, uh, Mackenzie Murphy, you know, your whole family is big in New Hampshire hockey. Uh, you've had every single one of your brothers and sisters play at different levels in New Hampshire. And uh, I first wanted to lead off with a question. Um, your older brother, Kevin, played a year junior, and then he went and played NCAA hockey. You chose a little bit different path. You played prep school after your high school career, and then you went to ACHA hockey. And now uh, you've become a big advocate for ACHA hockey. Tell me about what went into that decision-making process and uh, what what uh, what are some of the advantages to to where you are now at Syracuse? Yeah, I think growing up, I kind of knew um, like Kevin when he was looking at he was he was also looking at Cushing Academy for a little bit. So I know he was considering the prep school route or the junior hockey route. And I just like the community aspect of the 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 environment that prep school brought. Like I I've always loved school. Like I love you know learning new things and and the structure of school. And I think I wasn't really ready for the the commitment of junior hockey and, and that. So I remember um, being a young birth year too. Um, like all my friends were, were 99s and I was a 2000. So I was like, you know, I'm going to PG. That way I can PG and kind of like reclassify. And then if I want to play juniors after that, I can go play juniors and, and not miss out. And then if I, if I don't want to play juniors and, and find, you know, a different avenue to go, then I'll have that option too. And I think it just came down to the structure for me. I really liked Bridgeton Academy when I toured. I really liked the coach there uh, who recruited me. And I thought like it was a place where I could succeed. That's great. I mean, Trevor and I had a a discussion last week about some of the advantages and disadvantages of junior hockey. And obviously I'm an advocate for junior hockey, but I realize that it's not for everybody. And you were a a kid that excelled in a number of different sports. You know, you played hockey, but then you went to Bridgeton. And I believe you also played lacrosse there. And now you're, you know, at you know, in your fourth year at Syracuse and you've had a tremendous career there. So tell me about that, you know, the decision to go to Syracuse and to play ACHA hockey instead of playing another couple of years of junior and pursuing an NCAA route, which was right within your wheelhouse. Yeah, I remember like uh, going back and forth with Coach Coons via email too, like and, and and you know looking at what was going on with the Wolves at the time because I I like to tell people if I had played junior hockey it would have been the Wolves. Um, you know we got a lot of guys on the former EHL guys on our team now here at Cuse, so uh, I like to join in on the conversations every now and then. Um, you know but, we we accept you under the umbrella. Don't worry about it. You wore a Wolves uniform okay. a couple times. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i gotta know there's enough pairs of wolf socks in my family's basement where i can where i can claim that um but what what it came down to is um i was really you know following my brother's footsteps i was really interested in the ne10 um i really loved saint a's uh, i remember visiting there fall of my pg year i really liked southern new hampshire really liked assumption was was going back and forth with the coach at assumption at the time and Um, I think at at this point, you know, my older brother had a very different experience um, where the NE10, you couldn't age out and go play Division II NCAA hockey, I think was their rule. So that rule had changed when I was PGing and I quickly realized like, okay, if I want to play college hockey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it done in just one year here at Bridgeton. There was a kid the year ahead of me who who got a spotted assumption and I was just watching kind of him play. And I think he got, he dressed in like two games that year. And I was like, all right, like if, if I, if I want to take that risk and go to a place like assumption, um, you know, I wouldn't be guaranteed a spot. And that was when my guidance counselor at the time reached out 
and was like, Hey, I really, I know you're really looking into communications as a major. And, um, I know you haven't really heard back from the coaches that you wanted to hear from. Um, like, why don't you look at club hockey as an option? And, um, you know, I went on the Syracuse website that night and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is unbelievable. Like they, this looks legit. Um, I, you know, my, my brother, I remember when, when he was graduating and, and I was starting the process, he, he saw, I think, I think Alabama had gone viral for a video and he used to joke, he got me an Alabama hat for Christmas. Cause he was like, you should go play there. Like that looks sick down there. <laughs> so I didn't really know much about club hockey. And then, um, it turns out that my coach at Bridgeton, uh, Rod Simmons had coached my coach at Syracuse, Connor Tracy at Potsdam. So like, as soon as I reached out, like the conversation developed really quickly i went on a tour there in january in the dead of winter which if anyone's been to syracuse it is not the most pleasant place um in january but uh the rink on campus was a huge sell for me i met a player on the team and um to have a rink on campus as a club team was was unbelievable and once i toured the Newhouse school which is one of the top communications school in the countries i was like this is a, an offer i can't really pass up the opportunity to probably step in and play as a freshman and get a degree that I wouldn't be able to get at some of the other schools that I was looking at where I might've had to go play junior hockey. Um, if I wanted to go play and, and, you know, play a role on the teams there. When you say PGing, like, sorry for the, for those of us who are not on the prep side, uh, what, uh, what does that stand for? Yeah. So it stands for post-graduate year. And I'm, I'm not sure if all of the, the prep schools have them. Um, I know depending on what league you play in, um, some teams are allowed a certain amount of PGs, postgrads. Others are not. Bridgeton Academy, where I went, is actually an all postgraduate school. Um, so back in the day, they used to have a junior hockey team and a prep school team. So one, the A team played the the junior teams in New England, and the the B team was the prep team. Uh, when I was there, they had just cut it down uh, because of cost to one team, and we played kind of like a a mixture of a U eighteen schedule mixed with a couple of EHL games mixed with a couple of prep school games. I think we got up to almost forty games that year, and so it basically allowed me to not only play at a higher level than I played at in high school in New Hampshire, but I also took a bunch of college classes through that, that PG. And and that was an amazing opportunity because um, while other guys were there to get their grades up, I was there to just stay busy. And so I knocked out a bunch of credits, which was great. And I know like PGing is, is not too uncommon in in the new England region. Well, I think it's always a great, you know, what you talked about that, that marriage between, um, finding the right fit academically, which a lot of kids don't even really consider. They just want to, if they're playing junior hockey, they want to go to the school that recruited them. But it's really about that long-term, what, what that college is going to, what is going to get you in four years and, and finding that right fit. And that's what you were looking for in Syracuse, you know, cause they have one of the top communication schools in the country. But then also on top of that, the experience, like a lot of kids, when they're looking at a club program, they're like, Oh, it's club. It's not, it's not uh, high level hockey, but re- realistically, it's their varsity program. A lot of schools, so it's like, I mean, if you if you talk to the chicks down at Alabama, they're like, oh well, he's on the hockey team. They don't realize it's ACHA or NCAA. He's just on the hockey team. So it's really it's a very different dynamic depending upon the school you go to. Yeah, and that was a, a big thing for me. Another uh, ACHA coach that I talked to was Niagara. And, um, you know, fittingly enough, we play them a couple times every year, but, um, that was one thing I looked at and Niagara is a great team. They're a top 20 team in division one ACHA right now, but they also have a varsity team. So I wasn't really drawn to the idea of going and playing club at a school that had a varsity team. That's what drew me about Syracuse is we have a varsity women's hockey team. So that's why we have the rink and on the facilities on campus, but with no varsity men's program, like we are the team on campus and, and, and everybody treats us like that. Um, and so that was definitely eye-opening for me when I when I came here. So what uh, <clears throat> kind of to move forward a little bit here with uh, what you got going on? Um, tell us about the the hockey house. How did that get all started? Uh, you know, just freewheel from here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, like like I mentioned, like I didn't know anything about the ACHA really. Like I know I knew URI had a team and they had a rink on campus. Cause my brother, when he was at assumption, they played URI. And I think he was a, he was a scratch that he was out that year, but uh, with an injury and I think URI beat them. And I was like, Oh, that's like, who's URI. And like, how does a school in Rhode Island have a rink on campus, but no NCAA team? Like that's bizarre. 
and um, you know, URI is one of our rivals. We play in the conference with them, and um, I I was fortunate enough my freshman year to uh, we played Liberty University, which if anyone knows anything about the ACHA, they've definitely seen a Liberty video before. Like I think leading up to my time at Syracuse, that was like all I watched on YouTube because it was like. That was like it seemed to be the only place you could watch club hockey highlights is just if if the team you were interested in had played against Liberty and Syracuse had, <laughs> and so um, through my experience in traveling down there to play and playing in front of two thousand people, uh, the jumbotron, everything sold out crowd, like I was like wow, like this is nuts. Like I wish I had known about this earlier. Like I I feel lucky enough where you know I had a guidance counselor who kind of pointed me in this direction and. Um, I was just thinking to myself, like, it's crazy that not enough people know about this. So my freshman year, I got involved with our like social media team here, like fully student run. Um, and I was trying my best to like do that because that's what I had done in high school when I was at Bridgeton. I also helped out with the media department because I I have a passion for graphic design. Um, but then sophomore year, um, the pandemic and, you know, I think everybody had a different experience with the pandemic, but, um, on for us the the state of new york was pretty strict in terms of guidelines and fortunately enough we were able to still go to class in person here at syracuse but everyone was wearing masks and and we couldn't skate which was uh a nightmare scenario for any hockey player um and while during that process i kind of knew we weren't going to be able to play and i was thinking like um i was listening to an episode of spitting chicklets and they had on a former penn state player who played acha hockey and then uh, ended up playing in the ECHL. And I was like, man, like, that's cool. Like, it was listening to that interview. I was like, it, it's it's a shame, like, more club hockey guys don't go on spit and chicklets. Like, I know they, they got to interview, like, Stanley Cup champions and, and Olympic gold medalists and all those <laughs> yeah. kinds of guys. But, like, once in a blue moon is a club hockey guy going to get on there. And I remember talking with my dad and being like, like, I think I could, I think if there was like a spit and chicklets for club hockey that could really take off. And he was like, yeah, like not only that, but you could probably like bring awareness, like for people who are in your shoes. And I, I thought about it and I got to school in August and was talking with some of my teammates and, um, they, they love the idea of it too. And then when I got the support from my teammates, I was like, I think this could be really cool. And so I was just a one man band running it out of my dorm in college as a sophomore and um, I found uh, a goalie at Temple and uh, a forward at Indiana through social media. And the three of us would just get together on a Zoom call once a week. And we had nothing to talk about because nobody else was really playing during this time. <laughs> and um, from there, like about a year later, I met David Herman, who, who's kind of uh, my right-hand guy at the moment. He edits our show and he worked at Ohio University, which is another big club hockey program. And in the last year, it has really taken off. I think we had like 8,000 followers last March, and then we went down to the national tournament. And now we're sitting here today, uh, over 20,000 followers. And um, it's crazy the fan base we've we've built up. Like I, every weekend, um, I'll line up for a face-off and somebody's like, hey man, like I love what you're doing. Like I got a guy stopping me in the handshake line, coming up for whistles. I'll get chirps every now and then if I say something stupid on the <laughs> podcast. But it's crazy this community that we've built and it seems like more people are aware about the ACHA than when we first started doing that. So that's really rewarding for me, but it really just came down that there was a, there was a need for something like this for the ACHA. We didn't really have anything. Um, no one was really talking about us. And so I took the time during my sophomore year to kind of jump on it and capitalize on it. That's awesome. I think it's really great what you've done in terms of, like you said, bringing awareness to, to, uh, to the ACHA and, and your teammates. Cause that's a level that's really deserving of that. That's awesome, Mackenzie. Now, if there's any piece of advice you could give, you know, a, a person in your shoes rewinded five years, like, uh, you know, a high school senior, any piece of advice for a kid like that who's looking to make the jump to college hockey at any level? Yeah, I, I would say it's you got to find a school that fits you. Like, I think um, it stinks sometimes we interview um, guys, and I always – I. Th- I like talking to guys who have played both NCAA and ACHA. Some guys, they go the NCAA route and they've played junior hockey their whole lives. And all they've known is that they want to play college hockey. And sometimes they end up at these schools that they they don't enjoy. And my parents always told me, what happens if you get hurt? 
Like, what are you going to do at that school if you get hurt? And then sophomore year, sure enough, like the pandemic came. And a lot of, I think a lot of guys found themselves at schools that were not as fun to be at without hockey. And so that, that would be my advice to somebody looking to play college hockey is find a school that's the right fit for you and then explore hockey afterwards. Because as, um, as my older brothers and and my high school coaches would tell me is like every road leads to men's league. Like at the end of the day, we're all going to be playing men's league. You'll have the decals of whatever college team you played for (laughs) in 15 years. No one's going to remember if it was club hockey or not, but you got to find a school that's the right fit because if you don't, you're not going to enjoy your college hockey experience. And so that, that is the biggest thing. And that's what we try to preach on our podcast and our platform. Well, one day you got to have on Jake Drucker. I'll tell a little, little story about Jake Drucker. Are you familiar with that name at all? No, no. I, I'm sure once you start talking, I'll probably r- make the connection. So he, he played uh, on our EHL team um, and he was kind of in and out of the lineup. He played some P games that year, um, but we were looking for a school for him. He really, wanted to play NCAA hockey. He had played junior for a number of years. He played in the go J he played in the empire league. He played all over the place. Um, but this was his age out year. And he um, was like, I think I can get in. I think I can play for SUNY Canton. And we were like, okay, maybe, you know, and then he showed me his grades and it was like, like, are you shitting me, bro? <laughs> it was like he had like 4.0, he had like a 1400 SAT and he was like, wanted to go pre-law. And I'm like, I think you, you, could be go to pre-law at like SUNY Canton, but you could go somewhere else. Like, and so he applied to a bunch of different schools and he got into NYU. He graduated there in three years and now he's, uh, he's at uh, university of Pennsylvania. It's like, <laughs> come on, buddy. And then he also played three years of ACHA hockey for NYU, which is a, you know, a fun school, a great school in New York city. And he had an awesome experience. So like you said, I think it's finding that right marriage of marrying hockey with your academics and then going to a program uh, that is a fun experience and can provide that hockey atmosphere with the right college setting. That's the perfect remedy for a, you know, a college hockey career. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people, at least the coaches in the ACHA level too, like to remind guys of the piece of paper that you get after playing for four years. <laughs> like if you're going to the job market and you're pre-law and you have a, a diploma from NYU, I mean, that's going to raise some eyebrows and, and not to discredit SUNY Canton, but like, I don't know if that one's going to raise as many eyebrows when you're looking at the resumes you're being compared to. And I think that's something that a, a lot of guys don't consider. And I think um, it, it just happens so quickly for guys because so many of us devote our time, our lives to playing hockey. And, um, you know, the, your age out year comes and you're just like, oh, I think a lot of guys get overwhelmed by that aspect of it. And um, so definitely making sure you do that. And I think another thing that, uh, the ACHA provides and certainly in my shoes is it, it, it more of a hands-on experience. And I remember, uh, my oldest brother, Joe, he played, uh, club hockey at Merrimack back in the day. And my dad went and saw him play against Bates college. And if you know anything about the NESCACs, Bates college is the only NESCAC without a hockey team. And they actually have a rink on campus. Um, but it's, it, they, they don't have varsity hockey, so they have a club team. And my dad was pretty intrigued by how that worked. And when I was looking at schools and on the, the, the seven hour trek home from Syracuse back to New Hampshire, um, he was just saying like, you know, if you go to Syracuse, you would have an impact. Like the guys on the team kind of run the team in a sense. Yes. We have a coach and our coach gets paid and he's running all the behind scenes stuff, but we build the relationship with, with the program. There's no athletic director for us. Who's making sure everything's going the way it is. If we want new jerseys, we have to go out and do the fundraising ourselves. And right now at Syracuse, we're working on a locker room project. And that, that comes from guys on the team stepping up and saying, Hey, we want our locker room to be better than it currently is. And if, if it was the NCAA route, I think it would be, you know, meetings with the AD meetings with the coach, and you probably wouldn't have as many hands-on experiences. And that's another thing that the ACHA provides that I think is, is really handy when it comes to real world, uh, you know, needs. That's awesome. All right. Final question for me, Robbie Murphy. He's got a big, big tournament this weekend opportunity for nationals on the line. He's the number one seed. They're 16 and oh, what's some advice you got for Robbie? Oh, well, the first thing Robbie's got to do is got to have fun. Um, the <laughs> opportunity to play in, in a, in a, in a situation like that. I think, as, you know, when I was, when, when I was his age, I remember going out 
um, for those big games and, and playing in high school. And I remember like my friends would be banging on the glass and I would just have my head down locked in and looking back on it, I'm like, I should have just been having fun. Like to have the opportunity to play in big games like that, you, you got to have fun and you got to love the game of hockey. And then when you're playing with that mentality, I think everything comes to you. And if you're prepared and ready to go, uh, you'll be all right. But the minute you stop having fun on the ice, I think people grip their sticks a little too tight and then you're not playing like yourself. So that's what I would tell Robbie Murphy. And, and I'm sure uh, he'll be all right this weekend. <laughs> that's great advice. Trevor, you got anything from McKenzie? No, I mean, McKenzie, that's, that's kind of it. Uh, you know, we do appreciate you coming on the show here. Um, stopping by. Hopefully we can uh, catch up a little bit, maybe later this season, see how things are going. Yeah. Awesome. I, I appreciate you guys having me and, and uh, coach Trimble. I, I appreciate the, the, the work you've done. We, we, um, we always love when, when junior hockey teams, you know, give shout outs to the guys who are going on to play in the ACHA, because I think uh, some junior teams don't really like you know, talking about that aspect of guys going off to the ACHA. And, and it's nice to see when the Wolves recognize those guys, because at the end of the day, it's, it's more players going off and, and getting their degree and, and having fun playing hockey while they're doing it. Well, well, thanks McKenzie. I think it, like you said before, it's finding the right fit. And, uh, you know, like you said, if a kid has an opportunity to further his uh, life ambitions, it's finding the right fit for the school rather than just pigeonholing him and squeezing him into an NCAA school that might not work out. It's finding the right kit, like right fit for the kid long-term. And that's what we try to do. Exactly. Real quick before we, uh, we sign off here with you, what, uh, where can our listeners find you, uh, I guess any social media platform that you prefer. Yeah. So, um, I, on social media, my handles are the Mac Murphy, uh, M A C K M U R P H Y the Mac Murphy. Uh, I used to be Mac Murphy 14 in high school, but then once I PG would and came to college, the number 14 wasn't available. So I had to drop that for my social handles. But then if they're interested in learning more about the ACHA and club hockey as a whole, uh, they can follow at Hockey House Pod on all social media channels. Very cool. Hey, thank you for your time, Mackenzie, today. And uh, again, good luck the rest of the way this season. And uh, look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thank you guys Thanks, so buddy. much. So, uh, yeah. Thanks again to McKenzie for coming on. Uh, we did say it would be a great interview. So, uh, what do you? Uh, what were your thoughts about that? I mean, you're you brought him on. You knew you you know him pretty well. So, yeah, I think that he he brought up some great points. You know, I think that everybody wants to look for those NCAA commitments, and obviously we push our kids here with the Wolves into NCAA hockey. Or if we can get them up to, you know, tier two either up in Canada or the North American League, which we've done every year for like the last five six years, we've moved at least one player up. Uh, that's what we want to do. We want to advance our players, but also advancement includes ACHA hockey, in my opinion. And we want kids to find that right marriage, that right fit, where they can academically excel in school, they can find a career that they can get involved in, and then they can also play hockey. And, and so many people overlook the benefits of ACHA hockey, but you're really going to college to go to college. So find a career, find a path that can take you there, and then find a fit with hockey that fits into the overall realm of what you want out of your out of your college experience. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, like I went to, uh, well, it was Ron Morris college and Ron Morris university. Now they're Roosevelt university. They don't even really exist anything anymore in the ACHA division one, but when they were Robert Morris out here in Chicago, um, I mean, they had some, like some of the nicer locker rooms because they got the old Blackhawks locker room. Oh wow. So they had, so they had the practice locker room. I, I apologize. Sorry. So they would get, you know, they got their huge locker room. They got the they got their video. Then they got the whole training area, like all for the trainers and all that stuff. They got their showers and all. I mean, it's literally a pro locker room for just basically a practice rink that when the Hawks moved downtown. So that was cool. And then the teams, the two teams below that were Division Two, I think like like Tier One and then Tier Two or whatever, or A and B. I don't remember. But they also had their own locker rooms too, which were basically. Almost, I think they were the old steel locker rooms. So, um, before they moved to out here in Geneva, Fox Valley. Um, so, I mean, it was again, we're talking about not even the top teams, but the second and third teams who had those locker rooms, and those were awesome. Now, granted, I never got to use them because when they, when they were there, uh, that was before the Hawks had left. So, when I was there, 
Uh, but when I went back to coach, uh, the one season we got to use uh, the teams were using those, and again, a little bit smaller, obviously compared because it's not no more pro, but uh, really just I mean everybody had their own you know um, cubby, everybody had their own locker, everybody you know stick rack. I mean everything was nice, and so I I I wholeheartedly agree with him when he said you know you got to really look at you know we've said it before. You're student athlete, students first. So you got to go somewhere where it's going to be the most beneficial for you in the long term. Because as he said as well, all roads lead to the men's league, right? So if you are going to pick a school because of hockey and they don't have your major, now you're SOL. So find those schools that have what you really are looking for. And McKenzie's doing communications, which Syracuse has got a phenomenal program in. So he really walked uh, walked into something that's not even walked in, but he got made himself into that place where I mean, it's, he got himself in a good situation. Absolutely, and I think at last week's episode, I talked a little bit about what the the doors can open for you when you do play higher levels of hockey. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to play junior and play in college, and McKenzie had the opportunity to play in prep and then play in ACHJ, and just all those different teams, all those different connections have led him to this point where he's created this podcast, which has a ton of followers and a big, 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 uh, big network of people that it's connecting with. And I think like, that's what makes hockey one of the, like a beautiful game. You know, you get a chance to, you know, not only improve your, play a great sport and have fun and and improve yourself um, both athletically and socially, but it also can open pathways and doors to other opportunities later in life, which, uh, you know, he's obviously, he's got something going there. that's pretty special. Yeah, he definitely does. No, I one uh, again. I one hundred percent agree. It's uh, it was very fun talking to him, and like I said, I in the interview, I really hope we get to uh, kind of see where he's going uh, at the end of the season or middle of the season. Uh, love to have him back on and just kind of, you know, shoot the shoot the stuff a little bit more. Absolutely, I guess that brings us to our five minutes this week. What do we got, Trev? Uh this week we have uh, five myths of coaching. Just. Five minutes of coaching hockey in general. Love it. So I think because uh, it was my choice, I'm going to – obviously I'll start first because I've got the three of the two – or three of the five. So I uh, I don't know if I won or lost, but – well, I'll say I won. So uh, the very first myth is it's the player's fault. Um, you hear coaches say this all the time. Uh, my kids can't pass. Uh, my kids can't shoot. You know, they're not this, this, and that. And – my uncle, who was, you know, one of my mentors growing up through the coaching ranks, you know, he used to run the skill sessions for the park district program for squirts, peewees, bams, um, even mites. Actually, mites is the biggest one. And then I started helping him. And I remember we were sitting on the ice one time. Kids are warming up. We had a coach just kind of having them skate circles. And the coach goes, uh, a couple coaches are like, man, these – these kids just can't, they can't pass the puck. They, they just, they can't, or they, I forgot what it was. Some skill that was just arbitrary, whatever. And my uncle looked at him down in the eyes and goes, well, you're the coach. Coach him, you know? And I was just like, yeah, oh, good, good point. Um, you know, everyone wants to blame the players these days. And don't get me wrong. There are players that just, they're there for the fun. Uh, they're, they're not, you know, but there's also kids that, you've got to find a way to teach them those tools, those skills. And I know you've been doing, I mean, a ton of skills uh, sessions and, you know, stuff like that, where that excuse goes out the window because it's, it's on us as coaches. Like we have to find a way to get them to that, whatever it is that understand that concept, understanding that skill, whatever motivates them. I think that's great. And I, I think really when it breaks down like this a little bit, um, if you get blown out, it's probably you. your players aren't as good as the other players. If you blow somebody else out, your players are just way better than the other players. But if it's a one-goal game and you lose that one-goal game, it might have been coaching. Like It might have been like that one extra thing that you could have done to alter or change the, the, the result of that game. And uh, I think you see, look at, a, like, I think good coaches, if they win a lot of one-goal games, you know, that's a good metric for a, a good coaching. Uh, like, uh, if you win every game ten nothing, you got good players, man. That's it. <laughs> and you're the wrong. You know, you're not an early. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean you're a great coach. If you win every game ten nothing, it simply means your players are way better than everybody else you're playing. 
No, I mean, one of my other mentors said, you know, the line that he's seen a lot of bad coaches win with good teams, but he's seen very... I think his answer was he's seen he hasn't seen any uh, good coaches win with bad teams. But I was like, okay, I've seen some good coaches win with some mediocre teams. But uh, For sure. But, uh, yeah, you got number two, so... Yeah, I got a good one here, I think. Uh, hits on a topic that uh, is always pretty relevant is you see a lot of coaches yell, you know, skate or with speed. Or I, I was always <laughs> – the Lou Man's yell was with speed. He used to yell that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, everything, everything doesn't have to be at full speed. You know, everything has to go within a progression. I think it's really important that kids sometimes slow things down to acquire a skill. Uh, to get the fundamentals, and then they can slowly, incrementally speed it up in order to increase the effectiveness of that skill. Um, if you're going full speed all the time, the first thing that suffers is your technique. So you need to slow things down oftentimes. And if you look in the NHL, like if you, when everybody's playing at full speed, it's the players that can slow down the game. You know, Patrick Kane in Chicago doesn't, doesn't go full speed all the time. He slows no. down the game, he sucks players in, and then he finds open space. Gretzky very rarely was going like top end speed. The game slowed down to him and it created more space. So I think that's one thing that uh, we need to get rid of in the coaching lexicon is that everything has to be at full speed because <laughs> it's not at always at full speed. God, when you're just sitting there saying that skate, skate, it's like when, when parents yell that, I just sit there laughing. I'm like, the kids are skating like they're move like they are. You want them to move their feet faster, like you want them to place faster. It's like they are skating. Let's find something else because they're just like, oh, I am skating. Oh yeah. And sometimes you know, like we, you know, at the end of a game, like if you look at a, a Wolves team, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much. I'm, I don't know if our peers are listening, but we'll trap at the end of a game. Like we'll do a one-one-three four-check in the neutral zone, or or we'll try to you know get teams to dump it in so we can get the puck back. And we start off, you know, F1 is not really skating. Right. So, no, yeah. so if we hear a parent yell, skate, it's like, no. How, I, I think you need to keep that one to yourself, buddy. I, yeah. I was always, uh, you know, I again, you different coaches that, you know, we've all gone through. I've had, I was around one that always just wanted to be going forward. Always, always, always going forward. And I'm like, okay. But I've even said, is it like, it's okay to regroup, like, Regroup your team, like, and again, you see it in the pros all the time. They're not always just going full blast. They're it's the Soviets. I mean, the red machine. Okay, they're, those guys would regroup until they had. They would just continue to regroup until they had that perfect opening, you know. And so, not everything has to be going yeah full throttle straight at them, because again, as you said, you know, you're going to get turnovers, and when you if you can slow that game down, it's huge, huge. Absolutely. But, uh, all right, then. Uh, number three, winning is most important. There is a caveat with this. It depends on the level you're playing at. And again, we're, you know, you and I are both in the levels of different levels, but also still we're pretty much under the same umbrella of development is very extremely important. Now, for you, winning is a little bit more important as well because um, it helps your players get more exposure. Um, winning for me, more important to the parents. Um, and the kid, some of the kids, uh, I mean, everybody wants to win, but development, I've always been, been of the philosophy that I'm not going to sacrifice development just for an easy, you know, for the win, because one's going to matter more in the long term, and that win is not it. Now, double edged sword, have I had to shorten my bench in games? Yeah, so I could, to win. Yeah, I mean I have to be competitive. That's just the nature of the beast. But that being said, it is one of those things where winning isn't the most important, especially for me at my levels. These kids just want to have fun and get better. You know, the parents want them to end up. You know, most parents, you know, they're paying so their kid can play, have fun, and become better humans. I agree, and I, I you know, I think you brought up a good point with, with shortening the bench, and I think parents. Uh, sometimes they say, oh, that coach just is out to win, you know, when he shortens the bench or he's selfishly, it's all about him. He, you know, he's sitting, sitting guys, he's playing this guy, he's playing favorites. And there, there needs to be something that's said for shortening a bench for other reasons. You know, if your kid is, is, has bad body language, if he bad mouths the coach, if he bad mouths the teammates, if he's taking bad penalties, 
if he's being disrespectful to the game, if he's uh, if he if he continually execute doesn't execute the game plan, well then you know it's okay to miss a shift. It's okay yeah. to sit down on the bench because Absolutely. in the, in the long run, the lessons he's going to learn from that uh, loss of ice time will benefit him grit more more down the road. Um, but you're right, I agree. Winning is not everything. Winning, um, when applied optimally, like you, you can learn from those important losses for sure. I've I've written about this before in some of the newsletters I've done. Um, coming up through the ranks, I was known as a coach. Literally, I was known, and I thought this was the funniest thing ever, as a coach who didn't play to win. That I, I, I just rolled my lines, which is that's true. I rolled my lines because I took kids. And I took them under the guise of, hey, if I'm taking them, I'm going to play them. I have to get them better. And nothing, when I finally started getting those opportunities for having the top teams, it worked out. Now, my last season, I think the one that really kicked this over was a, a different 16-year team. Um, you know, and again, just to hammer home this point, is my philosophy was the same thing. Like, we're here to develop. I'm trying to get these kids ready for 18U. Unfortunately, COVID knocked out some of them uh, because of that the next year. But it was, look, this is double-A hockey. These guys, you know, they're we're trying to get better. I want to win. We're going to win. But I need to play, you know, certain players in certain times. But I'm going to try and roll my lines. And I did. I had a full squad. I rolled my lines. Um, I would shorten them. And then I had a power play line against 16U double-A. But I kept rolling my lines at certain points, and I know it pissed off parents because they went, they would say it to other people and eventually got back to me. And they'd say it to the club's board. They wouldn't say it to my face, and which kind of aggravated more out of me. But I was like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing this. And sure as shit, took the team. I think we took one of the second to last playoff spots, and we ended up... Because of the first night of playoffs, um, we play a team that we hadn't beat all year. And now we're at that crunch time where I got kids getting hurt. We're getting sick. We're playing like playoffs night after night, and it's one and done. First game, we win by like a goal. Now, granted, my goalie was was hot that whole entire weekend. Played great, phenomenal. But I was playing those kids that, you know, those parents were like, oh, they're not the veteran players. They're the, you know, and they're like your third or fourth liners. And then... I had to use them because kids were getting injured. Kids were sick. You know, it's it's crunch time. They're pl- I'm plugging and playing, and we win that game. Then we go in and then we play a team that had blown us out. Some long line blown us out before both times. Same thing. We win again. I'm playing. I'm rolling my lines and I'm plugging and playing where I have to because injuries. Now we go in and we play. I'm trying to remember. Now it's a best of three. We're playing the second place team who had a like 140 plus goal differential. Okay. <laughs> now we had played them early in the year and beat them. Everybody was shocked. I wasn't. Uh-oh. Okay. Maybe I was a little bit. <laughs> then we go into the state playoffs. They're the first team we got to play. And we take them to think either double or triple overtime and we lose. Okay. It happens. They've got kids that are, that were very talented. I mean, not going to lie about that. We play them first game. We lose by a single goal. So then we got to go to the second game. Now, mind you, I'm still doing this where I'm running my lines and I'm plugging and playing kids when people are getting injured or need to shift off. I got kids with concussions now. And we go to the second game. Second game, we ended up winning. We won that second game. Now, the league at the time, the dumbest rule in the world, or how they set it up was, if it's a tie after two games, you play one period extra of OT. (laughs) We end up losing that game. We end up losing, sorry, that 14 minutes of hockey. (laughs) You know, we gave up an empty netter, and the kids were so deflated. But at the end of the season, the kids that, all the kids were happy. They loved it. Said, you know, the best season we played ever. You know, we had fun. And it was the kids that were not typically on that power play line or that penalty kill, but I still kept playing them, who I had to then play in those key situations, who were really, really appreciative. Their parents would write, wrote me emails. The kids wrote me letters saying, Coach, thank you so much, this, this, and that. 
they were devastated when I left. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm not trying to blow, you know, smoke up my own ass here, but the point I'm trying to make is that I didn't sacrifice winning or development for winning to the full extreme. Um, and you know what? I took my beatings. I took my lumps with whatever the perception was to those parents. And at the end of the day, we had, I mean, when the coach from the other team comes up to you after the game and says, you were the team we were the most worried about from middle of the season after we did our state game on, like to me, that is like the highest compliment you can get. For sure. For sure. I think there's no question that when you, um, when you develop everybody and everybody can see a significant improvement in their game, then everybody wins. Everybody wins when everybody gets better. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of kids who've come through our program at different levels. Um, one pro kid that comes to mind in terms of getting better is a kid named Kevin bite. He's a, a sophomore now at Johnson and Wales. It's a, it's a, you know, NCAA division three college here on the East coast. He's a kid from Georgia. He came to us as a forward. Uh, initially we had him as kind of like a third, fourth line guy, but he was in and out of the lineup, but we were committed to that kid. He had a good natural skill set, was a good teammate. We liked having him in the locker room. Uh, halfway through his second year with us, we moved him to defense. We thought that like his skating ability and vision that he could play the defense. He could make that transition. You know, by the end of the first weekend, he was winning our top four. He played his final season of junior with us in the EHL on our 2020-21 team that COVID year. And he had mm-hmm. 35 points and was an all-star in the league. And if we had just said, oh, he's going to be out of the lineup, as a, we're not going to worry about that kid as a fourth-line kid, he doesn't play college hockey. He doesn't have that opportunity. And now no. he had a, in his freshman year, he was the second-leading scorer amongst defensemen on Johnson & Wales. I think he was like third overall in the team scoring. He was up for like, – like one of the finalists for the rookie of the year in the, in the conference, you know, that's, and that's, that's what it's about for coaching that, that development of finding where we can get those guys in. So sorry, Absolutely. not for everybody that's listening <laughs> for my Ted talk, but uh, no, that's great. That was a little bit, but I mean, that was just, that's one thing that I've used over the years and I'm like, okay, I, I it, it also helps you as a coach and same thing with you. I mean, you've had more, you've had much more experience with moving players on where you get that, kind of instant gratification over the years where like this for me, it was just like, it was a, it was a roadblock as a coach. It was sometimes it sucked because you keep hearing this. Oh, you, you don't play to win. You don't play. It's like, I, I, I hate losing more than I like winning. So don't give me that line. And then here's a perfect season. And even after that, I still had the naysayers, but whatever. I mean, you, but you saw the, everybody. you saw the big picture. That was, that was great. Then it paid off, which even validates even more. So that's, Kudos to you, Trevor. That's a great, that's a great, a great story for sure. So, yeah, that's again, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. But uh, <laughs> all right, go ahead. This is another important one. All right. So this stems from a, I was listening to a podcast one time and, and I heard an advisor say, you know, I, I, when I, when I, you know, bring kids on, I, I send them to programs where I see the coach using the dry erase board a lot when, when he's like really, you know, talking to the players after each shift, he's showing that dry erase board. And, and he's going over each shift with the kids. And I thought in my head, I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Because <laughs> if you're using the dry erase board with a kid after every shift, it means you've done nothing all week to prepare those kids to play in the games. Like, right. what do you practice for if you're going to tell them every shift what they should have done differently? Did you do any video? Did you do any chalk ducks during the week? What did you possibly work on on the ice during the week where you have to tell them after every shift exactly what they did wrong? That was asinine. And that advice, I can't believe I'm sure he's still in business. I'm sure he's still oh, probably, you know, hoodwinking some kids out there. But like, it's <laughs> it's absolutely absurd, that comment. And um, so my, my fourth one is is uh, the idea, the hypothesis, a myth with coaching that why aren't coaches using their dry erase board more? Uh, I think coaches use that should use that, you know, rarely if they see a kid make a blatant error, maybe on the penalty kill or on the four check, something that is easy to diagram, but you can't diagram a whole shift and you need to prepare your kids during the week and in practice and in chalk talks and in video sessions. So you don't have to do that during the game and your focus during the game should be the play on the ice, your lines, keeping your teams engaged in the game, managing your bench. And then also 
you should be matching your lines or looking what, at the other bench so you can put out the right matchup so you can prepare your kids to have winning shifts each time they're on the ice. That should be your focus for the games, not a dry erase board. <laughs> I mean, I've uh, I've always had my dry erase board on me uh, at different times. Again, coaching different levels. Um, no, I will not draw a kid's entire 45-second, well, for sometimes <laughs> kids' minute shifts. Um, you know, I... I do think that it, obviously it has its place. It's a teaching tool. Of course. Um, but is that the end all be all? If you're, as you said, if you're sitting there on the dry erase board for the entire game, you're not doing your job right. You for are, sure. you've, <laughs> what, it's basically what did you do the rest of the time? Like, what did you do the entire week? Where was the video? Where's this? And especially, yeah, at your level that you're playing at, you know, again, you've got to manage so many different things that, it's not like the pros where you've got like five coaches on the bench or the, you know, whatever, where you could be like, okay, you worry about when, you know, okay, when McDavid jumps on the ice, let us know so we can throw out our first, you know, our, our defensive <laughs> unit. But so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a believer in using it, but you don't want to overuse it. You don't want to, you know, just keep it simple. Absolutely. All right. What do you got for five, Trevor? All right. And this was my favorite one, especially growing up uh, in my twenties when I would talk with buddies um, number five is, uh, being a good coach is easy. Um, that is <laughs> bullshit. Um, it is not easy being a okay coach or eh, below average is easy. Being a good coach takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. No different than being a good you know, father, being a good teacher, being a good, you know, whatever you, your career is, being a good mechanic, it takes time, you know, guys who would be like, oh yeah, we'll just run this drill, this drill, this drill. Okay. Why? Like, what's the purpose behind your drills? What's the purpose behind your practice plan? Does it flow? Does what you're trying to teach in overall, are you doing at the beginning and it leads into other things throughout the, you know, the end? Are you hiding things in there? And then, oh, you know, suddenly it pops up and the kids start to get it. That takes a lot of time and energy. It's um, it's not easy to be a good coach, but we've got all these people out there who think, oh, you know, he runs all these great, beautiful drills, and yeah, flow, yeah, the flow drills look nice, but your team's getting smoked in games. Like you don't, there's no pressure on these drills. Like it's just one of those things where everyone's like, oh, being, it's easy, it's simple, it's not easy, especially when you're dealing with young players, any players at any level, I guess you could say. Being a good coach takes time. You've got to go certifications. There's, you know, you can do a lot of your own research, um, your own readings and stuff. Just being a mediocre coach, that's simple. Just running, you know, the same five, six drills with no purpose behind them. Just because you saw them online, they looked cool. (laughs) Doesn't mean your team needs to work on the power play, but you're running a drill that, you know, simulates a overload power play and you run a one, three, one, like, just because it looks cool doesn't mean you got to run it. So that's just always been one of my biggest gripes where people are like, ah, coaching's easy. It's not to be a good coach. It's not easy. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that um, one of the overlooked things is everybody wants to rush, rush in to be a head coach too. Uh, you know, I think it's great to learn uh, your trade from other coaches, good and bad. Like you should have some bad experiences when you're being an assistant coach, learn things that don't work as well so that you don't try those things in the future. And I think you need to really, you need to be a, uh, a real sponge. If you want to get good, at, good at being a, a coach, you got to have just more than one voice in your head. You got to say, you got to be able to draw back on that experience. That was positive. That, that coach that uh, maybe made a mistake in a, in a previous game and then have that, that reflex where you can draw that information, implement it into your either practice or game, and then articulate it to your players and get them to execute. And, uh, it's like you said. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, we I'm, I've mentioned the Devils a couple times in this podcast. I'm really excited about our Devil season. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're already doing better than last year. I think we have more wins already than we do than all of last year. But the, nope. after the first after the first two games, there was chance at the Prudential Center to fire Lindy Ruff. And now, <laughs> you know, and now since that time, they've gone ten and one. Right. Know? Right. It's not it's not something that just happens overnight. They, the players have bought into Lindy Ruff, and whether he's the best coach or not, I don't know. But the players believe in what he's teaching, and um, he has Been a different a while. 
He has, and he has a different system for these guys, and he knows how to develop younger players. Uh, you know, with, whether it be you know Tyler Sagan in Dallas or uh, a whole slew of players in Buffalo, uh, and now he's developing young players, and they're playing well. So, you know, give the coach a chance to to do his thing. Don't uh, don't micromanage parents. You know, let let the coach coach. Right. No, and again, it's it's always was one of my things where you'd hear it, and again, maybe it was my younger days right here from buddies that would, you know college buddies like oh you know beer leagues or whatever yeah that's simple you just do it and it's like no it's really not but hey if you want to come into my practice i'm gonna ask you questions like why you're running this show what does this do you didn't tell the kids this this isn't that but yeah that's so so those are the five myths of uh coaching hockey i think uh those are some good ones there's definitely many others out there so if any of you listening uh have any that you think should be uh you know, discuss, please fire, uh, fire an email to us or a, uh, hit us up on Twitter, but, uh, anything you want to add before we sign off here? No, looking forward to next week's pod that, that comes out. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in the junior hockey world that, uh, is going to be exciting. Get towards the Christmas season, the holiday season. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming up. So, uh, looking forward to some future podcasts we got going on and some awesome guests and uh, just keep bringing this information to hockey fans out there. Absolutely. Well, I am Trevor DiCarlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And we will uh, see you next time. Thanks.